Elder Secret Societies The knowledge of the Templars concerning the early history of Christianity was undoubtedly one of the main reasons for their persecution and final annihilation. Masonic philosopher Manly P. Hall In the Dark Ages, following the collapse of the Roman Empire, one religion gained absolute supremacy in the Western world. Christianity. Now, while ostensibly based on the teachings of Jesus Christ, scholars today can trace Christianity's evolution back through the ideologies of ancient Greece, Egypt, and Babylon to the much older culture of Sumer. The discovery in recent years of lost writings dating from before the time of Jesus has provided much-needed information to fill in the gaps of knowledge about both the man and his times. Now, due to a lack of first-hand accounts of Jesus, acrimonious debates over Christian beliefs and theology continued for centuries, from the time the secular power of the Holy Roman Catholic Universal Church emerged during medieval times. Until the fall of Constantinople in 1453, the Roman Church stood as the ultimate authority in the Western world. Through the lending of both its money and blessings, the Vatican dominated kings and queens and controlled the lives of ordinary citizens through fear of excommunication and its infamous inquisition. Europe's best and brightest men were exhorted by the clergy to battle for God and country. And Christian Europe launched crusade after crusade against the Muslims holding the Holy Land of the Middle East. The power of the church became further centralized and all-powerful. Some of these men, particularly in southern France, while with its association to certain legends concerning Mary Magdalene and her descendants, had knowledge of secret traditions which ran counter to the teachings of the church. The Crusades presented a convenient excuse to take the Holy Land and search for verification of these traditions. Some researchers even suggest that the Crusades may have been inspired by their search for hidden knowledge. Now, according to French author Gerard de Say, Peter the Hermit, generally considered to be instrumental in promoting the First Crusade, along with St. Bernard, was a personal tutor to the Crusades' leader, Godfrey de Bouillon, a man later associated with the Knights Templar. Once in the Holy Land, the Crusaders apparently found some verification of heretical ideas which supported elder traditions, principally those circulating in southern France, and differed from the teachings of the Church. It was this conflict that led to the creation of societies which used secrecy as protection from the Roman Church, which in turn began to guard its established theology with increasingly violent means. By many recent accounts, at least one group of crusaders brought back more than just heretical hearsay. They reportedly returned to Europe with hard evidence of error and duplicity in church dogma. These crusaders over time became known as heretics and blasphemers, and an attempt was made by the church to exterminate them. They were the Knights Templar, whose traditions live on today within Freemasonry. The Knights Templar A religious military knighthood called the Order of the Poor Knights of Christ and of the Temple of Solomon was formed in 1118 when nine French crusaders appeared before King Baldwin of Jerusalem and asked to be allowed to protect pilgrims traveling to the Holy Land. They also asked permission to stay in the ruins of Solomon's temple. Their requests were granted and the order became known as the Knights of the Temple, soon shortened to Knights Templar. Scant attention has been paid to the knights in traditional history books, and their role in shaping future events has been mostly relegated to footnotes. It is known that the order flourished, becoming extraordinarily wealthy and powerful, until the year 1307 when they were crushed by an envious French king and a pope fearful of their secrets.
As with much of history, there was more to this story than has been told to a general audience, fucking naturally. With the destruction of the Templars and the burning of Jacques Molay on Friday the 13th, the church attempted to wipe out all evidence of the order and their secrets which involved the innermost mysteries of Christianity, issues so volatile that the Templars had to be destroyed by the very church that ordained them. Until recently, most of what was known about the origins of the Templars came from the Frankish historian Yame de Thiers, writing more than 50 years after the event. His account is sketchy, incomplete, and perhaps even wrong in some instances. Today, thanks to the effort of a number of scholars, the record is more complete and the Templar contributions are being reappraised. The Middle East, at the time, was in turmoil. In 1099, the Knights of the First Crusade under Godfrey de Bouillon had captured the holy city of Jerusalem from the Muslims and had created a Christian kingdom under that name. But the countryside was far from pacified, and the journey from eastern Mediterranean ports to the holy city was perilous. So nine knights petitioned Jerusalem's King Baldwin II of Laborg to be allowed to form a military order and to be quartered in the east wing of his palace, which was adjacent to the recently captured Al-Aqsa Mosque, former site of King Solomon's temple. Baldwin agreed, and even paid the knights a small stipend. This act was thought by some researchers to indicate that Baldwin may have had ulterior knowledge of their activities. You're fucking right he did, asshole. These knights were led by some dude named Hugh de Pines, a nobleman in the service of his cousin Hughes, Count of Champagne, and André de Montbard, the uncle of Bernard of Claval. Later known as the Sister, later known as the Cistercian Saint Bernard, Montbard was also a vassal of the Count of Champagne. At least two of the original knights, Rosal and Gondemar, were Cistercian monks prior to their departure for Jerusalem. In fact, the entire group was closely related, both by family ties and by connections to the Cistercian monks and Flemish royalty. Finds his nine companions all either came from Champagne or, or Languedoc, and that included the Count of Provence, and it is quite apparent that they went to the Holy Land with a specific mission in mind, wrote Picnic and Prince. Provence lies adjacent to Languedoc and includes Marseille, where Mary Magdalene reportedly arrived in Europe after the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. A letter to Champagne from the Bishop of Charters, dated 1114, congratulated the Count on his intention to join La Malice de Christ, the Soldiers of Christ, which is a prototype for the Knights Templar. Furthermore, author Graham Hancock wrote that he had established that both Pines and Champagne had journeyed together to the Holy Land in 1104 and were together back in France in 1113 indicating that plans for such an order had been underway for several years prior to the audience with King Baldwin. One irony was that sometime later Champagne himself joined the Templars, in effect becoming a vassal to his own vassal. One explanation for this strange occurrence and a significant point concerning the order itself was that their oath of allegiance was to neither the king nor to their grand master, but to the religious benefactor Bernard, abbot of Clairvaux who continued to support the group as he rose to prominence. He was later canonized in 1174. Now, during the nine years of their existence, this unofficial order recruited no new members, which is an odd circumstance for such a small group claiming to protect Jerusalem's roadways. Furthermore, the protection of pilgrims had already been undertaken by another order, 
the Knights of the Hospital of St. John of Jerusalem, known as the Hospitaliers. The idea that a mere nine knights could effectively patrol the roads leading to Jerusalem is fucking preposterous. It is obvious that the Templars had another reason altogether for journeying to the Holy Land. They made little effort to guard the roads, leaving such protection to the Hospitaliers. Instead, the Templars kept close to their quarters and excavated for treasure deep under the ruins of the first permanent Hebrew temple. Solomon's temple, first constructed some 3,000 years ago, was actually planned by his father, the biblical King David. King Solomon constructed the temple on Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. Now, just a quick backstory here. King David was the dude who smoked motherfucking Goliath with a fucking rock straight to his fucking mullet, right? Took him out. And he became a god, or king, or both, whatever the fuck, right? Then he gave birth to some asshole named Solomon, right? Anyway, Solomon had some rings, right? And he used these rings to fucking bind a bunch of demons and to build him a bunch of fucking monuments, okay? Now, whatever the fuck those rings were, that's alleged, that has got to be some form of technology. And that technology helped him affect a massive amount of physical, measurable change in the three-dimensional, tangible world that we live in. So it's a possibility, and we're totally, totally off book here, the possibility that these assholes were sent there to find that shit. Back to the fucking book there, fucking stretch nuts. Prior to the temple's construction in Jerusalem, the Hebrew temple said to house Yahweh since the exodus from Egypt was a simple tent. Traditionally, this portable temple housed the Ark of the Covenant, said to be the means of communication with God. One Hebrew name for their temple was Hekal, a Sumerian term meaning great house. In fact, some experts have claimed that Solomon's temple was almost a carbon copy of a Sumerian temple erected for the god Ninurta a thousand years earlier. Solomon's temple was destroyed during the Babylonian conquest about 586 BC and then rebuilt by King Zerubbabel after the Jews returned after captivity. Much of the new design was based on a vision by the prophet Ezekiel, who in the Old Testament described his experiences with flying devices. In the time of Jesus, Zerubbabel's temple was greatly reworked to become the temple of Herod the Great. It was destroyed only four years after its completion in A.D. 70 during a Jewish revolt against the Romans. Now, to date, the remnants of the Jewish temples are enclosed within the Dome of the Rock Mosque, which is an Islamic holy shrine, second only to Mecca and Medina. Now, there's no question that the Templar excavations were extensive. In 1894, a group of British royal engineers, led by Lieutenant Charles Wilson, discovered evidence of the Templars while mapping vaults under Mount Moriah. They found vaulted passageways with keystone arches, typical of Templar handiwork. They also found artifacts consisting of a spur, parts of a sword and lance, a small Templar cross, which are still on display in Scotland. It was during their excavations, according to several accounts, that the Templars acquired scrolls of hidden knowledge, again, most probably dealing with the life of Jesus and his associations with the Essenes and Gnostics. They also reportedly acquired the legendary tables of testimony given to Moses as well as other holy relics, perhaps even the legendary Ark of the Covenant and the Spear of Longinus, which could have been used to validate their claims as an alternative religious authority to the Roman Church. Now such reports were well supported by the discovery of a document etched on copper among the Dead Sea Scrolls found at Qumran on the northwest shore of the Dead Sea in 1947. 
Now, this copper scroll, translated in the mid-50s at Manchester University, not only mentioned a vast treasure of both gold and literature, but actually described their hiding place. That site of the Templar excavations beneath Solomon's temple was the hiding place. Now, apparently, it was one of several copies, another of which may have come into the hands of the Templars. Now, with its detailed directions to hidden Hebrew valuables, the copper scroll was literally a fucking treasure map. Now, author Hancock, he thought about the Templars. He thought their search was only partially successful. He says here, If the Templars had found the Ark, they would certainly have brought it back to Europe in triumph. Since that had not happened, it seemed to me quite safe to conclude that they had not found it. Hancock theorized that the Ark had long since been transported to Ethiopia, where it remains hidden. Now, according to the author Lawrence Gardner, in addition to gold, the Templar excavators also recovered a wealth of ancient manuscript books in Hebrew and Syriac. Many of these predated the Gospels, providing first-hand accounts that had not been edited by any ecclesiastical authority. It was widely accepted that the Knights possessed an insight which eclipsed Orthodox Christianity, an insight that permitted them to certainty that the church had misinterpreted both the virgin birth and the resurrection. Their newfound wealth, as well as their possession of lost documents, also could explain the rapid acceptance of the Templars by awestruck church leaders. According to Knight and Lomas, the Templars clearly had possession of the purest Christian documents possible, far more important than the Synoptic Gospels. With this knowledge, the Templar leaders, either directly or by implication, must have greatly intimidated church officials, leading to great growth and power. Now, having accepted no new members for almost a decade and claiming to be poor, even though most of them were members or of or connected to royal families, their original seal depicted two knights sharing one horse. The order's fortunes suddenly soared. Their leaders began traveling, recruiting members, and gaining acceptance from both the church and European royalty. On January 31, 1128, Templar Grand Master Pines and Montbar traveled to Troyes, about 75 miles southeast of Paris, to plead the case for official recognition by the church before a specially convened council. This Council of Troyes was made up of Catholic archbishops, bishops, and abbots, including Montbard's nephew St. Bernard, by then head of the powerful Cistercian Order. With the added endorsement of King Baldwin, the Council approved the Templars as an official military and religious order. This resulted in Pope Honorius II approving a rule or constitution for the Knights Templar which sanctioned contributions to the order. This rule was prepared by St. Bernard and copied the structure of his, of his Cistercian order. To support the religious side of the order, the rule, among other things, ordered all new Templars to make a vow of chastity and of poverty, which included turning over all of their property to the order. On the military side, Templars were forbidden to retreat in combat unless their opponents outnumbered them more than three to one and their commander approved of a withdrawal. The structure of the order was a forerunner of Freemasonry. Each local branch was called a temple, and its ruling commander reported to and pledged obedience to the Grand Master. Within the ranks, there were four classifications, knights, sergeants, chaplains, and servants. As in later Freemasonry, there was great emphasis on keeping secrets from both the public and their fellow Templars. Picknett and Prince wrote that with the order's rigid pyramid command structure, 
it is likely that the majority of the Knights Templar were no more than the simple Christian soldiers they appeared to be, but the inner circle was much different. The power and prestige of the order increased rapidly, and at the zenith of its popularity counted a membership of about 20,000 knights. Now this distinctive white surcoat emblazoned with a red cross worn only by the Knights Templar was always seen in the thick of battle. Quickly, their reputation rivaled that of modern fighting elites, such as the U.S. Marines, Britain's Special Air Service, or the earlier German Waffen-SS. They, Pines and Montbard, had gone west with nothing and came back with a papal rule, money, precious objects, landed wealth, and no less than 300 recruited noblemen to follow Hugh de Pines' lead as Grand Master of a major order, noted Knight and Lomas. Within a year of the Council of Troyes, they owned lands in France, England, Scotland, Spain, and Portugal, reported Bagan and Ley. Within a decade, their possessions would extend to Italy, Austria, Germany, Hungary, and Constantinople. In 1131, the King of Aragon bequeathed to them a third of his domains. By the mid-12th century, the temple had already begun to establish itself as the single most wealthy and powerful institution in Christendom, with the sole exception of the papacy. Now, contributions from royalty and the nobles were not just in coin or land. Members received lordships, baronies, landlord status, and castles. Grandmaster Paynes had many high-level connections. He was married to Catherine de St. Clair, daughter of a prominent Scottish family that donated land south of Edinburgh, where the first Templar study center or preceptory outside the Holy Land was built. St. Bernard, who had supported the Templars so well at Troyes and his Cistercian order, also prospered. According to Bajant, Lay, and Lincoln, the Cistercians were practically insolvent prior to the formation of the Templars, but then showed sudden and rapid growth. Within the next few years, a half-dozen abbeys were established. By 1153, there were, no, there were more than 300, of which St. Bernard himself personally founded 69. This extraordinary growth directly parallels that of the Order of the Temple. Now, in 1139, Pope Innocent II, the protege of St. Bernard, proclaimed that the Templars would henceforth answer to no other authority but the papacy. This license to operate outside any local control meant an exemption from taxes, which considerably increased the wealth of this order. The Pope also granted the Templars the most unusual right to build their own churches. According to Bajant and Lay, within Templar enclaves, the knights were a law unto themselves. They offered right of sanctuary like any church. They convened their own courts to try cases of local crime. They ran their own markets and fairs. They were exempt from tolls on roads, bridges, and rivers. Obviously, whatever the Templars had unearthed beneath Solomon's temple brought them power and recognition from church and political leaders alike. This power only increased after 1129 when King Baldwin II asked Paines and his Templars to aid in an ill-fated attack on the Muslim city of Damascus. This somewhat hasty and ill-conceived operation may have been instigated by Count Folk V of Anjou. Folk had rushed to Jerusalem near the end of the Templar excavations, pledging allegiance to the fledgling order. Folk had contributed in annuity to continue their operations. His reward for such generosity may have come in 1128, when French King Louis VI selected Folk to marry Baldwin's daughter, Melissen. Following Baldwin's death in the aftermath of the failure to take Damascus, son-in-law Folk the Templar became king of Jerusalem. 
On his return to the Holy Land following a visit in Europe, Pines, along with 300 knights, shepherded a large throng of pilgrims. The Templars then joined with the Christian forces in the attack on Damascus. It was here that the Knights Templar had yet another opportunity to learn Holy Land secrets. During this action, the Christians became allied with an Islamic secret society that also claimed to be privy to ancient knowledge, the Notorious Assassins. Now, next week, I'm going to talk about the Assassins. This Sunday, since I'm off schedule, it's Wednesday, it's Wednesday, so you're getting this episode today, fuckstick. Sunday, we're talking about motherfucking assassins, okay, asshole? This is the Zero Brain Podcast. This is your host, Dave Grave. I'm fucking signing off, shitbird. Oh, and a big shout-out to Jim Mars. May you rest in peace. Your book is fucking badass. I suggest anybody who wants to read this book or follow along, find it, buy it, check it out at your library, download the motherfucker. I don't give a shit. Just look it up. Like I said, Dave Grave, Zero Brain Podcast. Follow me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube. The Zero Brain Podcast, Buzzsprout.com and all that other shit, fucking tough guy.